If you got a Bible with you, you could start finding Philippians chapter one. Philippians one, we're gonna be in verses 12 through 30 today. Uh, if you're new to Frontline, this is a great point in our church to jump in. We love to preach through books of the Bible. Uh, we love to stand under the authority of God's word and we love to see Jesus in the entirety of the Bible. The whole Bible's about Jesus. That's what makes the Bible so wonderful. It reveals what God's done for us in Christ. And of all the books of the Bible that we've taught through, I think Philippians is going to be one of the most timely and beautiful books that we've walked through as a church. I think one of the things that makes Philippians so beautiful is that it's one of the Apostle Paul's most personal and reflective letters, right? In the book of Philippians, you get this apostle who's not in this book standing on ceremony, He's not in this book using his capital A apostleship to hide behind. But what you see in the book of Philippians is the apostle Paul as a tender, fatherly leader, speaking as a pastor to people that he loves really deeply. And he's willing in this book to actually open up his own story and talk to these Philippian Christians and you and me about the way in which his gospel journey has shaped and formed him as a follower of Jesus. I think it's really beautiful to have a book that shows us this hero of our faith, this foundational apostle of the church of Jesus, not just as an apostle, but as one who's followed Jesus on a gospel journey over decades. And he's telling his friends in Philippi, follow me like this as I follow Jesus. And I think one of the things that's so timely about getting a letter from a trusted friend getting a letter from a mature spiritual leader, um, getting a letter from somebody who's a spiritual dad, who's not just writing about hypotheticals or theoretical theology, but getting a letter from a trusted guy that's saying, look, here's what the gospel's done in my life. And here's what Jesus wants the gospel to do in your life. I think one of the things that's so timely and beautiful about that is that we don't have a whole lot of people like the apostle Paul to help us navigate how tricky and treacherous our lives are. I think in our cultural moment, what we've got is an age of celebrity pastors, unfortunately, that are really good at marketing and really good at self-promotion. We've got a whole lot of gurus that are trying to sell you stuff via marketing, amen? Like there's gurus everywhere. There's self-help people everywhere. And all of these celebrity pastors and all of these gurus in the marketplace, the thing that they all have in common is that they want something from you. They want a platform or they want money or they want you to make them more successful. And what we see in the apostle Paul that cuts against the grain of all that self-promotion, all that marketing, all that noise, what we see in the apostle Paul is a real spiritual guide who can help us navigate just how difficult it is to be a human being. So in this book, in this book, Paul's writing to his friends in Philippi and he's saying, hey, look, here's what my journey with Jesus has done for me. And here's what your journey with Jesus is gonna do for you. And he's encouraging them to lock into that journey, to follow Jesus, to follow Jesus as the gospel takes us out into the world, in towards a deeper relationship with Jesus and down into unity and into suffering. So let me read this to you, our text today, Philippians chapter one, verses 12 through 30. I'm gonna read the whole passage and then we're gonna talk about this gospel journey that takes us out, in, and down as we follow Jesus. Starting in verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, speaking of his imprisonment, 
What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager anticipation, expectation, and hope that I would not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. For to me, this is one of the most famous lines in the whole Bible, and it's so beautiful. Paul writes, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell, for I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is much better but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that in me, you will have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. This is the word of God. In this text, the apostle Paul is unpacking for his friends in Philippi where the gospel's taken him and where the gospel is going to take us in Christ. And this gospel journey with Jesus is a journey that takes us out into the world. It takes us in into communion with God and it takes us down in a life of unity and suffering. Uh, We're gonna start with out, unpack that briefly. Then we're going to talk about down. What does that mean? And then we're going to talk at the end about the glue that makes it possible for us to proclaim Jesus and follow Jesus when things get really hard. That's the journey that takes us in. Here we go. Three things. Number one, the gospel takes us out. Look at verse 12. This is all about gospel advance, gospel mission. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. This is one of Paul's singular passions as an apostle. He wants the gospel to be advanced in the world. And he doesn't just talk about the gospel advancing. Paul has literally laid his life on the line for everybody to hear about Jesus. Paul says in Romans that he made it his ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, 
lest he build on someone else's foundation. Meaning Paul's just like unbelievably passionate and unbelievably sacrificial in his singular focus in making sure that Jews and Gentiles, that Greeks and barbarians, that the rich, that the poor, that men, that women, that slaves and the free, that everybody in the ancient world could hear the greatest news in the entire universe, that God so loved the world that he gave his son Jesus, that we could actually be adopted into his family. Paul cares about gospel advance. And yet what's happened is Paul, instead of getting to preach the gospel freely like he used to do, Paul is now in chains. He's locked in prison. And most of the evidence, we don't know this 100%, but most of the evidence points to Paul being in prison in the belly of the beast, Rome itself. So now he's locked in chains. He can't preach the gospel like he used to from town to town and city to city. And yet here's what he says that the good news of Jesus is still advancing and it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that his imprisonment is for Christ. So here's what's happening. Even though Paul's chained up and he's locked in jail, the good news of Jesus is not chained up. It's not locked in jail. And even in imprisonment, beautiful things are happening to advance the gospel. These imperial soldiers, first of all, are hearing about Jesus. These guards, these blue collar workers in Rome, these elite special force soldiers are knowing that Paul is there because he loves and follows Jesus. We don't know who this group of people is that Paul just adds on to. He says, and all the rest. We don't know exactly who all the rest is, but I assume those are people involved in the sort of criminal system of Rome. These are people that are hearing about Jesus. And not only are these people that aren't Christians hearing about Jesus, but somehow Paul getting locked in jail is giving more boldness. It's giving more faith. It's giving more courage to Christians throughout Rome to actually open their mouths and not play it safe, but to tell their friends and neighbors about the good news of Jesus. Now, this is really important. This is a big deal. This is where the gospel takes us. To follow Jesus is to follow Jesus on mission. To be a Christian is to have an increasing passion that the gospel would go out to to the people in this world that don't yet know the life-changing relationship that we can have with Christ. It's a passion for Paul that the gospel would go out. And it's a passion for followers of Jesus that the gospel would go out. It's good news that we're not to hoard. It's good news that we're called to share. And what I want to say in our gospel journey here at Frontline Church is that certainly nobody in our church is as gifted as the Apostle Paul to make the gospel known. So you can let yourself off the hook on that one, right? You're not the Apostle Paul. I'm not the Apostle Paul. Um, You and I are probably not the next Billy Graham, right? We're, We're not as gifted as some of these rock star superstars in the history of the church at telling people about Jesus. But nonetheless, the gospel takes you out. The gospel calls you to do the work of the evangelist, to share with your family and share with your neighbors and share with your coworkers about the hope that you have in Jesus. And this gospel journey that takes us out actually blows up all of the objections that we have against telling people about our faith. The objections of, well, in my stage of life, man, I just got to get through college and then I'll get serious about following Jesus on mission that blows it up because Paul's locked in jail. That's a circumstance that's even more difficult than going to university. Can I get an amen? 
right? Or, or the gospel objection, man. I'm, I'm a mom with little kids. I can't really follow Jesus out on mission because my whole world is just diapers and vomit and keeping these people alive that are in my house, right? I can't follow Jesus out. This kind of blows that up because it's kind of also hard to be in jail. And what Paul does in this text is he actually models for the Philippians and he models for you and me that in every phase of life, in every career that different people are called to, in all of our vocations, whether you're married or you're single, Jesus wants to cultivate in you and me a passion for those that are far from God and a desire, a desire to live in our community as married or single, as a professional or blue collar worker, um, as wealthy or as poor, Jesus wants to cultivate in us this passion for the advance of the gospel, where at the very least, though you might not be like Paul, who's gonna plant churches all over the world, at the very least, we can all be friends of sinners and have people in our lives that we're intentionally pursuing and praying for and sharing the good news of Jesus with. We wanna be a people that follow Jesus out. Right? In this moment in the life of our church, it would be so easy to become a internally focused organization that just sort of sustains itself and kind of worries about preaching to the choir and keeping members in our church happy. And I just want you to know, we are absolutely committed, even if it makes us really uncomfortable, even if it costs us a lot of money, even if it costs us even if it costs us a whole lot of time, even if it makes Christians uncomfortable, we are committed to following Jesus out. We want our cities, Oklahoma City and Shawnee and Edmond and Norman. We want South OKC. We want Yukon. We want there to be gospel outposts all over the city where more and more people that have experienced dead religion, but not the good news of the gospel to actually hear about Jesus and have an opportunity to respond in faith. And that's not just something that pastors do. That's something that every member of our church is called to. We're to follow Jesus out. Can I get an amen? Now, the beautiful thing about the gospel is that it not only takes us out, but it also takes us down. It takes us down. And this is where it gets really sobering in Paul's letter. To follow Jesus is to follow Jesus down. It's to follow Jesus down. Look what happens in verse 27. He writes to the Philippians and by God's grace, us also. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you. Listen to these words. They're really shocking. It's been granted to you. That's the language of blessing. It's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Here's what Paul's saying. Um, the good news of Jesus doesn't just take you out into the world on mission. The good news of Jesus takes you down, and that trajectory of down that the gospel is going to take us on is connected to living a life worthy of the gospel. When Paul writes to these Philippian Christians that he wants them to have a life that sort of matches the gospel, he wants them to have a life that's congruent with the gospel, that's not at odds with the gospel. He has two things in mind in this text. The gospel is to take us down to unity and it's to take us down 
in suffering, down to unity and down to suffering. What do I mean by down in unity? Well, he says in verse 27 that he wants to hear that they're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. See, here's the deal. Unity is a miracle of God that the spirit of God works by forming Jesus and the passions of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus into Christians in such a way that you actually break the natural human tendency to climb over people, to elevate yourself. And you start to get this beautiful sense of mercy and grace that's demonstrated in the life of Jesus in which Jesus actually came to be the servant of all. Unity is a miracle of the spirit where we begin by God's grace to outdo one another in showing honor in Christ. Like that Jesus would honor your neighbor by bleeding out for him or her, whatever their stage of life, whatever their political bends, like whatever their history is, Jesus honored that person as an image bearer of God, worthy, worthy of Jesus's pursuit, valuable to the living God. To honor one another in Jesus is to realize that Jesus has honored your brothers and your sisters. It's this, it's this downward trajectory where instead of only forgiving people when we think that they deserve it, we maintain the unity of the spirit by offering one another the forgiveness that Jesus offered us. It's this miracle of unity where instead of looking out for our own interest above the interest of others, where we start to outdo one another in caring about the health and the life and the formation of our brothers and sisters in Jesus. Jesus came to serve. And this gospel trajectory, this gospel direction of down is actually one of the core markers that you're following Jesus on this gospel journey. It's that instead of thinking more highly of yourself than you ought, you think of yourself with sober judgment and you honor and love the people in your life. Um, If the gospel is not taking us downward towards more humility, if the gospel is not taking us downwards towards a more willing and free offer of forgiveness to people that have hurt us, if the gospel is not taking us down where we're actually yearning for our brothers and sisters to experience the riches of God's grace and health in Jesus, and life in Jesus, if the gospel is not taking us down, something might be deficient in our gospel. Because Jesus came as the servant of us, and he came to pursue us, and he came to love us. I want to stop here for just a second and just say, in the 13-year history of our church, unity is a miracle of God that's built really slowly over time. And the most dangerous thing in the life of the church is not the opposition of the world, It's not the opposition of the city. The most dangerous thing in the life of the church is when Christians are not willing to follow Jesus down in loving, honoring, and forgiving one another. So today, if there's one win today, man, let it be. If you've got got issues with a brother or a sister in Christ, let today be the day that you forgive and pursue, right? Let today be the day. Like before you go to lunch, before you get your brunch on, stop what you're doing. Stop what you're doing if there's a fracture in a relationship, right? If you have tried to build your life on the back of someone else, stop what you're doing and repent and pursue that person in Jesus because the gospel takes us down, right? The gospel is not about how important we are 
or how awesome we are. The gospel is not the message that God looked at the earth and saw that he really needed you and me on his team. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that in love and in grace, when we didn't deserve it, when we couldn't get to God, he came to us in Jesus and he lifted us out of our chains, out of our bondage, out of our sin because of his great love. That means that we're to be people that pursue humility and unity in the body of Christ. Um, In addition, the gospel takes us down in suffering. It takes us down in suffering. And I want to read this. I want to read this because this is a message that we as Western Christians need to hear again and again, because we've heard the opposite of this. We've heard if you're sick, it's because you don't have enough faith. We've heard if you're in a difficult marriage, it's because there must be something wrong with you. We've heard that if your friends and family reject you because of your relationship with Jesus, you're just not a good enough evangelist. So listen to the words of this apostle, verse 28 and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I had and now hear that I still have. Here's what's happening in this Philippian context. The city of Philippi is, uh, is one of the most central cities in the Roman empire for the cult of Caesar worship. They worship Caesar like crazy in Philippi. It was an extremely patriotic city. And the citizens of Philippi were really proud of their Roman citizenship. And to be a follower of Jesus is to say, hey, I'm actually not going to worship Caesar as Lord because Jesus is Lord. And what that meant for for these Christians in the city of Philippi was that sometimes Christians were losing jobs because they wouldn't worship Caesar as required by trade guilds. They wouldn't make sacrifices to Caesar at festivals, right? They wouldn't bow the knee to Caesar at civic functions. And the entire city is like, hey man, we love Caesar. Caesar is the secret of our prosperity. Caesar is the protector of our city. Caesar is Lord What's wrong with you Christians? Just get with the program and worship Caesar. And the Christians can't do it. And as a result of that, they're being opposed by their neighbors, by their friends, by their family. They're losing relationships. What Paul says to these Philippians is really crazy. He says, it's been granted to you as some kind of blessing that you didn't want, but nonetheless you get. It's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, that you not only get to believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same kind of suffering and conflict that Paul had. And I just want to pause here for just a minute and try to make this as honest and as helpful, as practical as I can possibly make it. If you're going to follow Jesus on a gospel journey, Jesus is often going to lead you into really difficult places. I want to be really clear about that in our church. To follow Jesus is not a guarantee that you're going to get all the earthly dreams fulfilled that you're carrying in your head and your heart. To follow Jesus is not a guarantee that you're going to be really celebrated by all your friends and family. To follow Jesus is not a guarantee that you're going to get sort of the the, um, easy out button that you can just hit and go around storms and loss, and grief, and conflict, and suffering. To follow Jesus actually probably means the opposite of that. Jesus is going to take you like he took Paul into places that you'd rather not go to. 
Jesus led Paul into imprisonment. That's not what Paul wanted. And yet in the providence of God, that imprisonment was about God's grace for Paul. And it was about Paul's impact in the world. I just want to say, man, I just want to say as honestly as I can, um, just because you're suffering doesn't mean that you're somehow out of the will of God. The guarantee of Jesus, the guarantee of Jesus is that if you follow him on a gospel journey throughout your life, he's going to take you to some places that you'd rather not go to. And yet in those places, here's the guarantee. He's never going to leave you. And he's never going to let any external force be more powerful than his grip of grace. And even in the suffering, he's going to do something so beautiful that in the light of eternity, you're going to get to thank God that you were granted the blessing of enduring for the name of Jesus. Some of you are getting persecuted because you're following Jesus in your singleness in a way that's really foreign to the world. And your friends are like, you're weird. What's wrong with you? Why don't you do what we do? Why don't you engage in the same kind of practices that we engage in? Your friends don't get you. Some of you have been rejected by family members because you love Jesus and you follow Jesus and you're not going to hide your faith in Jesus. Some of you are in the midst of really difficult marriages and you're trying to be faithful to Jesus and honor your spouse in Jesus. And instead of that being turned back towards you with blessing from your spouse, your spouse is critical, harsh, judgmental. I just want to say, man, there's something, there's something in the providence of God in places that feel like jail There's something in the providence of God in places that feel like jail that can do something for your walk with Jesus, for your character, for your soul, that's going to shape you for all eternity. There's something in those places that feel like jail that's even more powerful than the places that feel like a birthday party. I want to encourage you that Jesus is with you in that suffering and he's not going to leave you. So friends, listen, the gospel It takes us out on mission to advance the gospel. It takes us down into unity as we love and honor. It takes us down into suffering. And some of you are wondering, well, how do we do that? Because like, I'm really embarrassed when I get around people that are not Christians. Or I'm really struggling following Jesus in my life because it's so hard. I don't know how to follow Jesus down. I don't know how to follow Jesus out. It's really hard. Something's missing because I read this. And though I might want to follow Jesus to those places, I'm having a real hard time doing it. I think the answer is that the, the sandwich that's this text, right? The bread on one end is the gospel takes you out. And the bread on the other end of this sandwich is the gospel takes you down. But the meat in the middle of this sandwich the fuel, the power, the the reason that Paul was willing to endure, the grace that we need to love and serve each other, the, the endurance that you need to actually suffer as you follow Jesus, it's found in the meat in the middle. And the meat in the middle is that the gospel takes us in. It takes us in. Look at verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. Now look at verse 21 through 23. This is the meat of the sandwich. For to me, 
to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So that in me, you will have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. I would say it's impossible to follow Jesus out with boldness. And it's impossible to follow Jesus down in humility and suffering if we're not experiencing the gospel formation that happens as we follow Jesus in to communion and satisfaction with him. What Paul says in these verses, verses that, that to live is Christ and to die is gain is crazy. What he's saying is that his life is defined by a singular focus on his treasure and his goal, which is knowing and having Jesus Christ, who Paul is gonna say in this very same letter is better than knowing or having anything else in the world. The reason Paul's willing to endure so much suffering and hardship is because he has something better than freedom. He has Jesus. The reason he's willing to be known as a fool and to be mocked and to be persecuted is because he actually has the esteem and the love and the acceptance of Jesus. The thing that Paul has that's better than health is Jesus. What Paul's found is that his core treasure, better than retirement, better than career success, better than money, better than a lake house, better than fill in the blank, better than the perfect spouse. Paul's writing this as a single man in a culture that's even more hostile to singles than our culture is, believe it or not. In the midst of all of those things that we would look at Paul's life and say, hey man, you're missing this core ingredient to be happy. You're missing this core ingredient to be happy. You're missing this core ingredient to be happy. We would look at Paul's life and be like, man, your life is terrible. You're persecuted, you're beaten, you get shipwrecked. You're in danger all the time. You're, you're poor. You're having to write letters for people to send you winter coats. Literally, your life is the furthest thing from the dream that I would have for my life possible. And in the midst of all those places where we look at Paul and say, man, what are you doing? Paul writes this letter and he says, hey man, the secret of all that gospel out and all that gospel down, the secret is that the gospels come in in such a way that I've got something better than freedom or fame or money. I get Jesus. And when I die, I'm not even afraid of that. To die is better because I get to be with Jesus. I get to see him finally. I get to get my reward. I get to cease this labor and this toil. And yet Paul's not looking for some sort of suicide escape at the hands of Rome. Paul's like, hey, I know that if I stay to live is gonna be Christ. I get to help people and tell people about Jesus. Jesus is the source of his joy. He's the source of his life. He's the source of his endurance. And I would say, man, in our church, for us to be a church that follows Jesus out on mission and follows Jesus down in humility and suffering, we've got to be a church that follows Jesus in towards communion, towards identity, towards more satisfaction in him, where Jesus is better than getting married. He's better than the dream job. He's better than a perfect body. And for many Christians in our particular context, in our church and outside of our church, Jesus is merely a means to the end that we want. 
Follow Jesus and he'll get you the right spouse. Follow Jesus, you have the great family you want. Follow Jesus, he'll bless your career. Follow Jesus, you can have your best life now. It's defined by whatever. And the problem with all that is it just misses the entire note of the New Testament, which is Jesus is an add-on. Jesus is the very center and definition of what it means to live a rich and beautiful life. Jesus is better. Jesus is sufficient. So Paul writes, for to me, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. As we close this today, that note that Jesus is better than fill in the blank is going to be a note Paul's going to play throughout this entire letter we're going to study. He's going to keep reminding people of that. He's going to keep pointing to that. And, and what I want to ask us to do as a church, as we study Philippians, is first and foremost, could we together as a church passionately pursue and seek more delight and more satisfaction in the person of Jesus Christ? Could we seek him? Could we, could we pray that he would help all of our affections to get lined up with him? Could we ask him to give us more delight in him? Could we ask him to become more and more our treasure? Could we ask him to be not on the edges of our life, but the very core center of our life and our hope and our future and our death and our resurrection and everything that it means to be a human being? Could, could we ask Jesus that he would help us to see him the way that Paul sees him as enough. So we wrap this up today. If you're a follower of Jesus, your gospel journey over a lifetime is a journey where Jesus wants to take you out. He wants your life to count for his mission and to advance the gospel with your voice and your time and your money. He wants to take you down He's not going to spare you suffering. He's going to lead you into suffering providentially. He wants you to love and honor the people that he's brought into your life. And the only way that you're going to experience that outward movement of the gospel and that downward movement of the gospel is if you're continually experiencing the inward movement of the gospel, that you get Jesus who forgives you and cleanses you and names you and chooses you. You get the love of the Father shut abroad in your heart to the Holy Spirit. We need to seek that as a church. I want our church to become way more passionate about Jesus in this season. Here, here's my vision pitch, right? Here's my vision pitch. What's the vision of Frontline Church in this season? To become way more passionate about Jesus. Because all the other stuff, all the mission out, planting Sujith in Mumbai, planting Tim Kimberly in Collins, Maxwell, Iowa, planting Frontline West, reaching the next generation with an education space. All that stuff is good, strategic, and right. And none of it, none of it is gonna happen unless there's a group of people that are more passionate about Jesus than safety or comfort or consumerism. So we, we need to ask for that, right? We need to ask for that. We need to ask that God would help us to love Jesus more. Don't, doesn't that sound like a prayer that he's likely to answer? Right? I mean, there's just some prayers that are just a little absurd. That's not one of them. 